Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. This is Jesus speaking. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night, Thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It is said that one day Abraham Lincoln was walking down a road with his two sons. And both of the boys were crying. And somebody said, what's wrong with the boys? And Lincoln said the very same thing that's true with the rest of the world. He said, I have three walnuts and... Both boys want two. Now do the math, all right? Two and two is four. He had three, okay? What's he talking about? He's talking about the subject of the message this morning and the subject of our text, and that is covetousness. Covetousness. That is probably the most common sin among mankind. And that is probably the most common sin among God's people. Did you ever think about that? Had a seminary instructor who said one day, if you want to find out what's wrong with our churches, he said, go to Walmart and look around and see all the things that you want but you can't buy. <laughs> Covetousness. Wanting things. The Word of God said, God said to Israel, thou shalt not covet. It is the last of the Ten Commandments. Now, when you look at that commandment, thou shalt not covet, and you think about the other commandments, the other commandments originate in the heart, but they end up showing outwardly, don't they? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And all of these other commandments that are given, they start in the heart where sin begins, but they show themselves in the things that we do. But do you realize covetousness is that sin that starts in the heart and it stays in the heart? Amen. It usually doesn't come out visibly where people can see it. As a result, somebody has said covetousness is the one sin that is very seldom confessed. I mean, how would we like to just have to admit, I've coveted this or I've coveted that or I've lusted after this or I've lusted after that. And by the way, that lust because I feel always like I have to explain this because of something Mr. Carter said years ago. But lust doesn't always refer to something sensual. Amen. I was preaching at a church in view of a call one time. And they said, well, if we call you as pastor, is your wife going to have to work? And we just bought a new car. And I said, yes, she will, because out there in that parking lot is an example of what lust will do for you. They didn't call me as pastor. <laughs> I guess because I admitted to lusting after a new car. I don't know. But we all lust after things. Thou shalt not covet. Covet is an interesting word. Really it carries the idea to delight in. 
or to desire greatly. Or actually the idea is you delight in something so much that you come to the point of wanting it for yourself. A new car. Maybe a new house. Maybe a new suit of clothes. Whatever it may be. The word that is translated covet is also translated and can be translated lust. So they're the same thing. People who would say they've never lust will covet, but they're lusting when they covet. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. But listen to this. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. That's when he learned lust. That's when he learned that he was a sinner, that he was lusting and coveting. Exodus chapter 27 verse 17 says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Covetousness looks at something and says, I want that for me. And I'll do whatever it takes to get that for me. Now, God didn't say you can't appreciate something. He didn't say you can't admire something. He just said don't admire it and appreciate it so much that you want it for yourself if it's not yours. Now, you can't read the Bible without finding incidents where God's people coveted. In fact, if you just look at the book of Joshua, a man named Achan. What did Achan covet? A wedge of gold, some silver, and a Babylonian garment. And I've said before, you've heard me say it, where's he going to wear it? I mean, he just wanted it. It really had no great value, did it? I can't show people the gold. I can't use the silver. I can't wear the garment. But boy, it looks good, and I want it for me. And so Achan coveted, and it cost 36 innocent men their lives, and that's another message altogether. There was a man named Ahab. He was king. He had a great vineyard. But what did he want? He wanted Nabob's vineyard. So much so that he had him put to death so he could just take over his vineyard. Covetousness. David lusted and coveted after Bathsheba. He went out on his porch. He looked out. He saw her bathing herself. And he sent for her. And he committed adultery with her. And it cost her husband his life because David committed premeditated murder after that when he sent her husband Uriah to the front of the lines in the hottest battle that was going on and had the army withdraw from him. Covetousness. We get over to the New Testament and there were a couple of folks named Ananias and Sapphira. What did they covet after? What did they lust after? Attention. Barnabas had brought an offer. He had sold some land and given the entire price of the land to the church at Jerusalem. And people appreciated it so much they called him the son of consolation. They used the same word to refer to Barnabas that is used to refer to the Holy Spirit, the Paracletos. And I can just imagine Ananias and Sapphira saying, they hadn't patted me on the back like that. They hadn't said those things about us. Here's what we'll do. We want some of that attention. And so they devised their little plan about selling land and not giving the whole price of it to the church, but saying that they did. And what happened? It cost them their lives. Amen. You sort of get the idea that covetousness may ultimately lead to a person's ruin and even their death. That's what we see in those examples. And covetousness has been a problem as long as mankind's been in the world. Amen. Why don't you go back to the Garden of Eden? What did Satan say to Eve? Hey, you can be like God. You can be a God. 
if you'll just do things my way. And she coveted that. She wanted that. And so she sinned. And then she gave the fruit to Adam and he sinned. Jesus warned in our text about covetousness. Beware of covetousness. It's hard to say sometimes, isn't it? Beware of covetousness. You know, I don't know how it is in other countries. I've visited other countries, but I've not lived there for very long. But I can tell you what. I think the United States of America is one of the most covetous nations in the whole world. We're not satisfied with what we have. We just want more. And then, here's what Paul told Timothy about the last days. Men will be wanting what's not theirs. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And what's the next word? Covetous. Boasters. Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. But he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Covetousness is a mark, and especially among God's people, is a mark of the last days. I'll go so far as to say, and be so bold as to say this, you know why some people aren't here today? Covetousness. For whatever reason, covetousness is somehow behind why many people are not here. People look around at our nation and say, why is crime so high? I can tell you in one word. Covetousness. I want what you have, but I don't want to work to get something similar to what you have. So you know what I do? I'll just take it from you. I'll break into your house while you're not there. I'll walk up and stick a gun or a knife or something like that in your ribs and say, give me what you have. It is covetousness. And that's why there's thefts, robberies, embezzlements, frauds, all kinds of scams, because people want what is not theirs. And they found a way to get it, and that's through robbery. And I said it a moment ago, I believe that covetousness is one of the greatest sins among God's people, and some of the chief ones, I think, are preachers. I didn't get many amens to that, but I'm, I think it, a lot of preachers are covetous. Yeah, I heard a preacher say this one time. I drive a Cadillac. He's bragging on his salary. I drive a Cadillac. And when I drive by my people, I just grin and wave at them and go on. That ought not to be an attitude of a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But why do some preachers not preach the whole counsel of God. I tell you, covetousness, and here's how it works. See, and we can see it for ourselves right here. If we preach the truth, if we stand for the truth, I mean, if we're firm, not wavering on it. If we just say, here's what the Bible says, and we're going to stay with what the Bible says, and we're not going to have any leeway, and we're not going to add any little addendums or anything, we can't have as many people as the church that does that. And if we don't have as many people as the church that does that, we won't have as big an offering as the church that does that. And if we don't have as big an offering as the church that does that, I won't get as big a salary as the pastor of the church that does that. So what do we do? We soften the word of God to get more people in and just add to our covetousness. Covetousness is why some church members are not faithful, why they quit church altogether. Covetousness. Take a job somewhere, maybe in another city, because it pays more 
even though there are no true scriptural churches there, we'll take our family out of a scriptural church, move to a city where there are no scriptural churches because we can make more money. But what about raising a family in a place where there are no scriptural churches? Some take a job and maybe work a second or third job and have to work on Sunday just for money. Covetousness. It affects all of our lives. And still there are those who will quit. I've seen this happen because they didn't get their way. And so they just, they coveted having what they wanted. Again, Jesus says in Luke chapter, y'all sure are quiet this morning. I don't know what's, I'm going to have to be like some of those preachers I've watched start asking for. Oh, I know there's one I watched. He says, you're not helping me, right? <laughs> you're not helping me, Okay. <laughs> Again in Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, beware of covetousness. Guard against every kind of greed in your life, child of God. That's what he's saying. Covetousness, avarice, greed, greediness. Then look at the company that covetousness keeps, okay? Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through verse 23. He's talking about what's in the heart. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousnesses, right in there with those other things, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. That's the company of covetousness. Listen to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God. Covetousness is right in there with haters of God. Haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. There's the company of covetousness. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. And then Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 through 7, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now I didn't say that, God said that to Paul. Covetousness is idolatry. I don't think anyone in this building would go out and buy them some kind of little statue to set up in their house so that they would bow and kneel before it and worship that statue. Amen. But we'll all commit covetousness. Amen. And God says it's idolatry. By the way, he goes on there in Colossians, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. So it brings God's chastisement. It's what covetousness does. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, Peter tells us that covetousness is the chief tool of false teachers. That's, listen to what he says. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, that's fake words, false words, with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. What he's saying is, listen, false teachers will buy you and sell you through covetousness. You know how they attract people? Hey, you send me $100, God's going to give you 1000 And there are people that take the last cent that they have and send it to some false teacher hoping that they'll get $1,000 and they don't get it. 
In the meantime, the false teacher standing up there on TV, got a Rolex watch and got his own jet plane. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. You may think so, but I'm not. Got his Rolex, his jet plane. He's making all kinds of money. And here's some poor person who gave the last name they had because of covetousness, hoping to get God's blessings from that false teacher. They present a picture of prosperity. So those who follow them and say, hey, maybe I can be like that if I'll just send them some money or, or listen to what they say or whatever. In our text, Jesus talked about a man who was covetousness, and I've always said this man had eye trouble because you listen to what he says. He said, Jesus said to them, take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. A lot of people want things. Why do they want things? Because that says something about me as a person. This is tax-free weekend in our state. And I'm not picking on this store. I just noticed as we went by yesterday, you almost couldn't get in the parking lot of Academy. Why? Well, they've got name brands. Well, Walmart was full too. <laughs> we passed Academy and went to Walmart. Right? Walmart's parking lot was full too. But they've got name brands. And I can't send my child to school with clothes that's not some popular name brand because what would their friends think? Doesn't matter what their friends think. What you wear, unless you just wear some outlandish, ungodly garb, just because you wear Walmart jeans or whatever does not make you less of a person. Amen. And yet people think that I've got to have this or my child has to have this. I read recently of one baseball player. He's a pitcher. Now think about this guy. He may work every fourth or fifth day. All right? And maybe you'd defend his getting a big contract. I have trouble understanding it when we've got people, police officers and soldiers and people like that who put their lives on the line every day and barely get paid for it. And here's a man who may work every fourth or fifth day and he had a contract, a six-year contract for $169 million. I just read about a college football coach who just bought a $17 million parcel of land. Covetousness. It feeds my flesh. It feeds my grief. And this is what I want. Listen, when people stand before God, whether it's at the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment, the question's not going to be, well, uh, what kind of car did you drive? How old was it? How many miles to the gallon did it get? How big was your house? Was it two or three bedrooms? Did you have two or three beds? I mean, how many car garages did you have on your house? That's not going to be asked when people stand before God. God's not going to ask, how big was your bank account? He already knows, by the way. No, there's only going to be one issue for the lost, and there's going to be one issue for the saved. And the one issue for the lost is going to be, did you know my son Jesus Christ is Savior? And the issue for the saved is going to be, were you faithful? Did you serve me? That's the only two issues that are going to come up in judgment. So the man in our text had a desire to have more. He wanted an overflowing abundance. He wasn't satisfied with enough. And we've all seen people like that. God will give them something and they just want more. Maybe we've seen children like that. You know, you give them this and they want, all, every year want the newest, the latest, the finest. 
Here's what covetousness does. One more dollar, one more deal. That's what I want. Some of you don't know Art Williams. I like Art Williams. He was a high school football coach. He started an insurance business, and now today he's a well-paid motivational speaker. He doesn't call himself a motivational speaker, but that's what it was. And he said this, and this is along the line of what he said, and he suggests that most successful people, now you just get in your mind what we think successful is, multimillionaire, whatever. Most successful people rarely have more than a few moments peace. See, we think money would solve all the problems. Got a big bank account, boy, I can go to bed and sleep at night. No, you're going to be worrying. What if somebody that works for me embezzles my money? What if somebody sues me and takes a whole lot of my money? What if somebody just steals from me? Or in some other way, and they're worried about losing their money. That's what happens when you're in that mode of covetousness. This man in Luke 12 accepted God's blessings, and he hoarded God's blessings instead of sharing God's blessings. By the way, you know what the Word of God tells us we should do with the blessings God gives us? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. You can read it for yourself. Let him that stole steal no more. Okay, quit being a thief. That's what Paul was saying. Apparently some of these folks in the church in Ephesus had been thieves. And Paul just says, quit it. You know, you're a child of God now. Your life's supposed to be different. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. You know what their attitude in America is? I work and get so I can have more. The word of God says, no, you work and let God bless. It's not wrong to have a savings account, to have a bank account. We have a savings account. Not a big one. We have a savings account. It's not wrong to have one of those, but just to hoard up God's blessings. I'm, I'm going to be honest. You know what I want to be? I want to have enough money. This is just my personal desire. I want to have enough money so if I go into a restaurant and I get to talking to the server and maybe this is a single mother and she's working hard to take care of her family, that I can leave a $100 tip when I walk out of there. Or to find somebody that's in need and be able to give them money to help them out. You know, back years ago, and this is absolutely nowhere in the notes, but years ago my attitude was this. I, I'm sort of a hippie attitude, you know. As long as we've got food in our stomach and the bills are paid, I don't need any more than that. You know, roof over our head, food in our stomach, bills paid. Hey, I'm fine. And I feel that way today. And God has blessed us. He sent us here. This church takes care of us well. We've gotten old enough to go on Social Security. Joni's got a good job. God's taking care of us, folks. But I want to reach that point to be able to just find somebody and say, here, take this. I want to help you. And I love it when we get that opportunity. So that, that's what the Word of God tells us we ought to do. This man's covetousness ultimately affected his entire being. With his mind, he conceived some ungodly desires. With his mouth, he proclaimed his wicked thoughts. And with his hands, he attempted to carry out his covetous deeds. And we're going to look at it right quickly. The man, the rich fool with the two small barns. First of all, this man took credit for what God had done. You look at verses 17 and 19. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And verse 19 he says, And I will say to my soul, So thou hast much good. What's he saying? So you have much goods. So thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
He gloried, and he, rightfully so, in an accomplishment of a great harvest. Look at what my fields have produced. But in effect, this man is saying, look what I've done. I still like to garden. I've been gardening for 40 years. And I still understand all I can do is plant the seed or plant the plant. God gives the rain. God puts the things in the soil that those plants need to grow. And when the fruit comes off of it, it's not what Jim did. It's what God did. Amen. This man's taking credit for what he did. It takes a lot of energy to, to farm and to work and, and to grow things. See, the rich man, Jesus says, I've been the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty. By the way, you notice Jesus said the ground brought forth. Didn't say he brought forth, did he? The ground brought forth plenty. And I'm sure this man, being rich, had servants or hired workers to get out in his fields and work. But again, it was God who gave the sun and God who gave the seed and God who blessed this man with a good harvest. And it's God who gave the principle of reproduction. Genesis chapter 1 verse 11, let everything bring forth after its own kind. So this man knew when I plant wheat, wheat's coming up. I plant corn, corn's coming up. And the reason he could be assured of that is because God had set that principle in motion. But I can almost hear this rich man saying, <clears throat> look what my degree in agronomics has done for me and has produced so well. Did you ever notice how we take credit for the things that God has done for us? I've heard preachers brag about the number of souls they've led to the Lord. Folks, I have no idea how many souls I've led to the Lord because I don't know how many of them were saved. Amen. Only thing God knew, they made a profession. But I've seen people make a profession of faith after I've talked to them and then within a short time get out of church and never come back. Well, were they saved or not? I don't know. I can tell you from the Word of God what their life indicates. But I just really don't know. We had a man in our chapel services and seminary that would come. Well-known preacher. If I called his name, many of you would recognize it. Well-known preacher. And he would stand up and brag about how many people he had baptized. Well, you got a bunch of people wet. I don't know how many people were saved that you got wet, but you got a bunch of people wet. Folks, it, it's God who gives the increase. It's possible to stand up here and sing a beautiful song and we have people, not just ladies, but we have people who stand up here and sing great solos or duets or quartets. You know, I remember back a few years ago when we had Rick and the Chicks up here singing. You know, uh, I guess that quartet went away. I don't know. But, you know, they can sing beautiful songs, but it's God that gives them the ability. And by the way, I wish they'd sing some more. I don't mind specials. If you don't mind getting out a few minutes later, I don't mind people singing specials, all right? But we should never say, look what I did. We should never say, look at the ability that I have. And the Apostle Paul, I love his attitude in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 because he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Sometimes people go out and shake my hand and say, good message. I say, give God the credit for it. I have no ability. Get ready, deacon. I can't preach. Amen. Thank you. I can't. But Christ in me can. Amen. You say, I can't sing, but Christ in you and through you can. Okay? 
That ought to be our attitude. The attitude of Paul ought to be our attitude when we attempt to do anything for God. Because I like what he said to these same Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? God gave you an ability. Don't glory like you made it up yourself. Don't act like, oh, I'm so good. No, God gave it to you. Next, this man gave himself credit to have the shrewdness to lay up in store. He thought within himself. We don't see him praying. We don't see him thanking God for the good harvest. We don't see him asking for God's leadership in what to do with it. He is an individual who is totally self-centered. And there are preachers and there are churches just like that in this world today. Remember, Jesus said there's more to life than what we can store up on this earth. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. He also told us in Matthew chapter 6, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What's going to happen to them? Moth and rust doth corrupt, thieves break in and steal. He said, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, and they're safe. Moth and rust don't corrupt, thieves don't break in and steal. So this man just assigned to himself, Look what I've done. Number two, this man made his plans without considering God. Now, I like this one, verse 19. Notice what this man says in verse 19. I will say to my soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease and eat, drink, and be married. Look what I've done and look what I'm going to do. Right? That's the whole attitude that this man gives out right here. He didn't say, if God wills. He said, here's my will. What did Jesus teach us in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, not my will, but thine be done. James chapter 4, verse 15. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Amen. And notice what he says. If the Lord will, we shall live. What if God decides to call you home tonight? Like he did this man. Oh, look what I'm going to do. Here's what, here are my plans. And God says, no, it's ending tonight, buddy. And it did with that man. We don't even know that we're going to live till tomorrow. Yeah. Also, this man's so busy thinking about the material, he forgets about the spiritual. Look at his plans. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build bigger barns. I'll bestow my fruits and my goods. And then I'll say to my soul, eat. Drink and be merry. Just enjoy. That sounds like a plan, doesn't it? Just store up everything I got and then we'll have a party. That's a plan. Well, it's not God's plan, but that's a plan. God's not in his plans. Nowhere in the things that he said is God in his plans. I've heard story after story of people who said, man, I just want to make it to retirement. I just want to make it to retirement. They make it to retirement and they don't live a year after they retire before they pass away. Some people and often young parents are so busy making a life for themselves and for their family materially that they forget God and their children grow up unsaved and worldly. Others plan to serve God someday. Man, I tell you what, when I get as old as you are, preacher, then I'll get serious about serving God. Just hope you get as old as I am. Amen. I'm just hoping to get older, you know. <laughs> just hope you get to be as old as I am. The thing is, you better consider God and His will today. 
And still others say, I'll wait till just before I die and then I'll accept Christ and I'll go to heaven. But what if you're in an accident and you have a brain injury and you don't have that opportunity? Today is the day the scripture says. Now is the time to accept Christ and to serve God. So this man made his plans and he didn't even consider God in his plans. And the final thing about this man is that he claimed ownership instead of stewardship over what God had given him. Again, notice my barns, my fruits, my goods. I have much goods or thou hast much goods. In reality, you and I don't own a thing on this earth. Amen. Not one. You say, I'm paying for a house. I own a, go ahead and say that. You know who owns our house? The bank. <laughs> you know? But listen to what Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12 say. And here's what God is saying. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Everything is God's. Somebody say, by what right? By right of creation. God made it. God lets us use it for a while while we're on this earth. But guess what? When we die, who does it go to? What goes to my ears? Eventually, it's going back to the one that made it. It's his. I don't own a thing. It all belongs to God. This man failed to acknowledge that everything he had came from God. Folks, everything we have comes from God. Some of you may have seen this. I posted on Facebook recently, and this is a quote. I know that everything that I have, everything that I have accomplished, and every good thing that I do does not come from me. And it certainly does not come from the devil and the world. It comes from God. You see anything good about Jim Harris, you thank God for it. Because he ain't got nothing. Jim doesn't. Pardon the grammar. Okay? Some say it's my life. I'll do what I want to do. Wrong. Especially if you're saved, you're wrong. And I can prove to you biblically that you're wrong because 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. You don't even belong to yourself. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. He said, Your body belongs to God. Child of God. Child of God, your spirit belongs to God. We have no right to say it's my life, I live like I want to live, when God says here how you ought to live. Because he owns us, he paid the price for us. Somebody say, well it's my money, I'll spend it like I want. 1 Corinthians 16 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. God says, I'm letting you use that money. You need to give some of it back to me. Every time we meet. I don't preach much on giving, but I'm just telling you what God said. Somebody will say, it's my talent. I'll use it as I want to benefit me. No, God says, I gave you that talent. I gave you the ability to play that instrument. I gave you the ability to sing that song or have that beautiful voice. I gave you the ability to speak. By the way, when I mess up, don't blame God for that. That's just me, okay? <laughs> but I gave you that ability. Use it 
to glorify me. And this man made plans for his possessions as he saw them in his use and not God's. Listen, again, everything that we have we ought to use to glorify God. God gave you a voice, use it to glorify God. God gave you life, use it to glorify God. Can you use your car to glorify God? Well, sure. You can use it to bring you to church. You can use it to go witness to somebody. You can use your car. You can use your house to glorify God. Use what God gave you to His honor and to His glory and to fail to do so. You know what that makes us? Makes us unjust stewards. You know what a steward was? He was a house manager. He was over everything the house owner had. Maybe it was like Joseph down in Potiphar's house. I mean, Potiphar didn't even know what money was coming in, what money was going out or anything. He just let Joseph run it. Well, God knows what's coming in and what's going out, but I tell you what, God lets us do some things. And he's made us stewards. Unfaithful stewards will waste the master's goods, but a faithful steward won't. Right quickly, and this is by way of conclusion, God's reaction to this man. See, some might look at this man and say, well, he was rich. He had all this stuff. Man, his business was going great. His farm was really producing. And this man said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to party. What does God call this man? Thou fool. See, people who live to serve self and ignore or forget God are fools. Amen. That's not my opinion. That's God's opinion. Thou fool. Verse 21. Jesus brings it home to us. God said, thou fool, verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He's a fool. People today live like they're going to live forever. You talk to them, try to talk to them about the Lord, they're not interested. You try to tell them that, and especially, and I'm not trying to pick on young people and young adults, but especially young people and young adults don't think that much about the coming of Christ or about death. Hey, I'm young. I'll serve God when I'm old. Pray you get to old. Because you may not. What did Jesus say is going to happen to material goods that men strive for? It'll rust. It'll corrupt. It'll be stolen. And then 1 Corinthians 3 verses 13 and 15. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. It's going to be revealed what we're working for while we're on this earth, those of us who are saved. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Some folks are going to come before the judgment fires of God, and they're going to lay their lives out there, and all the money and stuff and, and everything they had is just going to go up in flames. And they may have absolutely nothing. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for God will last. Next, God reminds this man of the brevity and uncertainty of life. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Provided means to work for, to prepare, to make ready. You're going to die tonight. How would you like for God to tell you, you're going to die tonight. That's it. Your life's over. Would you be ready to go? Think about that one. But God says this night, this very night, your soul is going to be required of you. This man's saying, I've got a lot of stuff laid up for many years. And God says, you're not going to live many years. You're not going to live one more day. See, at best, life hangs by a thread. 
And it's a thin thread at that. And those who live for the physical life only may never get to enjoy the preparation they have made for that physical life. I don't know whether I should do that. I may have to cut this out of the podcast. I don't know whether I even should do it here. Now, but we, had a, we had a man that was a member of this church that was well off. And he had a lot of plans. And he just built a new house. And he had a heart attack. And he died. Some of you may know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to mention his name. But folks, that's the way life is. We can't guarantee we can go anywhere out of this building and still live. We can't guarantee we can live in this building. I can't guarantee you I can get through with this message and I'm almost done. A child of God can have joy in this life, serving God, and in the life to come, he can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Many people today see success as dollar signs. Big bank accounts, big houses, new cars, the latest styles, the latest clothing. But you know what? That eventually becomes the driving force in their life. What am I living for? Well, I'm living to get the next iPhone. I don't know what number are they up to now, 14? I'm still on an 8. I'll catch up. When the 20s come out, I may have a 14. I'm living for the next... No, I'm not living for the next electric car. I'm sorry. Instead of things, we should follow the admonition of the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 13 because it says there, let your conversation, that's your lifestyle, be without covetousness. That's directly from God. Let your conversation, your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things you have. That's what we ought to do. Whatever God is, if God's given you a lot, praise God for it. Thank God and use it to serve him. If he's given you a little, praise God for it and use it to serve him. Let your conversation be without covetousness, but be content with such things as you have. For he, God, hath said, Jesus has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's all we need to know. It's not wrong to plan. Not wrong to have a savings account. It's not wrong to desire. It becomes wrong when we leave God out of our plans and our desires for things, our desires for stuff. By the way, I've come up with a definition of home. Home is where your stuff is. Amen. You can send me far away and if I got my stuff, I'm happy. Right? But when our desire for stuff overrides our desire for serving God, folks, then... We're committing covetousness. And we are wrong before God. I don't know if your barns are too small or too large. I don't know if you'd consider yourself covetous or not. You know, sometimes we're covetous and don't even recognize it, right? I don't know whether you're covetous or not, but God knows because he knows our hearts. And we, especially as God's people, need to be careful about covetousness.